0: Hey everybody, this is Krista Stilwell, communications assistant at LFCN. Thanks for listening to the podcast. It's a glimpse into the life of our church. We are ordinary people being transformed into passionate followers of Jesus who join with God in the remaking of all things. We pray that what you hear is a blessing and helps you join God today. If our church can help you and serve you in any way, please drop us a line at 765-447-7655. Enjoy the sermon. This is the third week in a sermon series that we've called What If? And in this sermon series, we're trying to imagine together what life in the power of God's Spirit really looks like. And so, as I've said for two weeks now, most of us are comfortable with God the Father. Like we get, we understand that God is like a heavenly Father and, and we don't really have access to this Father. God's up there somewhere, but, but God is this good, good Father. We, we sing that song, we get it. We're really comfortable with God the Son, And so we understand that Jesus is sent by God the Father to show us who God is and who God has always been and what God is really like. And you ask anybody in our country today what they think about Jesus, and they will most frequently say, we really like Jesus, because it's hard not to like a person like that. We understand God the Son, but many of us just really have no understanding at all of God the Spirit. So when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we're just not sure. And one of our goals here in this sermon series is to reintroduce us to the person and to the work of God's Holy Spirit. And so we started off, um, what kind of kicked us off with this was this quote by Billy Graham, and I'm going to read this as often as I can. So Billy Graham um, had this quote, and I, I want to share it with you this morning. It's not in there. Are you kidding me? Are there any slides in there? Ah, uh, well, that's a really big bummer. Well, uh, if you give me a second, I will read that for you because it needs to be heard. So, Billy Graham said this, and this was just like a year before he passed away. A year before he passed away. Um, nah, he didn't. <laughs> I don't know. It's not in my notes. Um, I'm really embarrassed right now. I don't know if I can remember a time where I've been as flummoxed. But Billy Graham essentially gave this quote where he talked about what he, he's traveled all around the nation and all around the world. And I, I'm going to paraphrase him now. And he said that if he could sum up what is most desperately needed in our world and in the life of our nation today... It's that men and women who profess Jesus Christ are filled with his spirit, are filled with his Holy Spirit. And what's most interesting to me about that quote is that Billy Graham is saying something that I think we all know, but we struggle to articulate. It's that many of us have said at a point in time in our lives, I want to follow Jesus, but we don't experience the presence of God, and we don't live in the power of God on a daily basis. And so as a result, we just have failures, repeated failures, or repeated circumstances in our life that we can't get through. We've all been there, and Billy Graham has said what we need more than anything else is the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in the lives of Christians. Look at the work that the sound guys did for us this morning to pull that up. Absolutely. Thank you. So what we talked about last week is this. So we said last week we said said, I want to introduce you to the Holy Spirit, and I want you to tell you who the Holy Spirit is, and we gave you this simple definition. We said the Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence. The Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence. God's person, God's power, and God's presence. The Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence. And if you remember last week, or if you weren't here, make sure to go back and listen to the podcast. Each one of these sermons kind of build upon the other. But last week, I kind of gave you a formula for practicing the presence of God or increasing our capacity for God's presence in our life. And the formula went like this. Intimacy with God plus holiness plus faith equals power. And so as we grow in our intimacy with God, as we grow in our capacity for holiness, as we grow in our faith and our ability to take risks, we experience more and more and more an ever-growing and an ever-increasing sense of God's power in our life. So that's to catch us up, and that's to talk about what we talked about last week. We talked about who is God's Spirit. But today, we want to talk about where is this Spirit of God? Not just who is God's Spirit, we want to talk about where is God's Spirit. And in order to do that, we're going to read from several scriptures, and we're ultimately going to land in Acts chapter 2. So if you brought your Bible with you or your app, and you just kind of want to follow along with us, that would be great. But I'm going to move a little bit quickly, and if you'd rather just stay at a spot, you can stay in Acts chapter 2, because that is where we will land and do the bulk of our work. So the Bible begins with this beautiful portrait and this beautiful picture, this beautiful image of God being present with his people, like tangibly, physically present. As present as the person sitting next to you, God was that present. And we know that because we read in the book of Genesis I'm going to read Genesis chapter 3 in just a minute. We read in the book of Genesis this relationship that the first created human beings, Adam and Eve, had with God. It was this tangible, physical kind of relationship. Genesis chapter 3 says this. During the day's cool evening breeze, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking with them. So just like you take a walk with someone that you enjoy their company, they also experienced that same sensation of walking with the Lord, their God. There was no barrier yet that existed between God and his people. There was this perfect unity and humans had full access to God. And then we read at the end of the Bible, so the Bible begins in the book of Genesis, and it ends in the book of Revelation, and we read in the end of the Bible in Revelation, it says this, look, God's dwelling is here with humankind, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God." So in the beginning, God was with his people. In the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, God was with his people. The problem is the middle. The beginning of the book of the Bible, God and humanity united. The end in the book of the Bible, God and humanity united. And the middle tells the story of the Father's heart. Of how he will not relent and he will not quit, about how he has this divine initiative and this mission to be reunited with his wayward sons and daughters. And we know how that story goes. We know that Adam and Eve were the ones who broke the relationship with their Heavenly Father. And they turned their back on God. And as a result, brokenness and death and decay entered into the atmosphere. And pretty soon that relationship was severed. But God couldn't handle it. He kept coming to them and coming to them and coming to them. And more than anything else, He just wanted to be with them and he wanted them to want to be with him and the Bible tells the story of the father's heart who is desperate to be reunited with his children he wants to be physically present and the Bible gives us some symbols to latch onto to know oh when that shows up, God is here. And I want to teach those symbols with you this morning. Whenever you're reading your Bible, or whenever you hear a pastor preach the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and these symbols show up, you can know that's God's code, that's God's way for telling you He's here, He's with you. Oftentimes in our lives, we wonder, where is God? Like, I don't have a sense that God is present with me. I feel distance in my relationship with God. And I'm not sure I could locate His presence, God's presence. Sometimes we feel so far gone or so far like in a fog that we don't know if God was even next to us, if we'd be able to recognize or realize all of those are very human experiences and common on our spiritual, spiritual journey at one time or another. But what I want to preach to you this morning is that God desires more than anything else to be present with you, to locate himself with you among us in this place and in your life. And so... When the Bible tells the story of God's presence, the Bible uses three symbols to help us understand where God is. Fire, wind, and clouds. Fire, wind, and clouds. And this first shows up early, early, early in the book of Exodus. So early in the book of Exodus... You might remember this story. There's this guy named Moses. And Moses is a little bit of a shady character. He's got an anger issue. He's killed some people. And he's walking along, and all of a sudden he notices what? He notices a bush. This bush is actually called the Senneth Bush. It's the only bush in all of ancient literature that's called the Senneth Bush. And this bush is on fire. And it catches Moses' attention, not because it's unique for a bush to be on fire. He lived in the desert. It was hot. It never rained. Lots of things caught on fire. It caught his attention because the bush was on fire, but it wasn't being consumed. It wasn't being burned up. And so Moses stops for a minute, and he recognizes that there's something unique going on here. And what we come to find out as we read this story is that this bush that is on fire, is filled with the very presence of God. And God begins to talk to Moses himself. And so Moses, there on a mountain at the Sinai bush, locates the presence of God through fire. And it shows up later on in Moses's life. If you Turn some pages in your Bible to Exodus chapter 19, verse 9. Moses, God calls Moses out into the wilderness, onto that very same mountainside where the sinet bush was burning but not being consumed. That mountainside is called Mount Sinai. And, and, and God said to Moses, come up. Come up and meet with me to the very top of this mountain. And so Moses removes himself from the people He goes up to the top of this mountain and there God meets with him and speaks personally with him. And in Exodus chapter 19 verse 9 it says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm about to come to you in a thick cloud in order that the people will hear me talking with you so that they will always trust you. If you skip down a little bit later in the story, And we pick it up in verse 16. It says this, When morning dawned on the third day, there was thunder, fire, and a thick cloud on the mountain, and a very loud blast of a horn. And all the people in the camp shook with fear. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their place at the foot of the mountain, And Mount Sinai was engulfed in smoke because the Lord had come down on it with lightning. And the smoke went up like the smoke of a hot furnace while the whole mountain shook violently. And the trumpet blast grew louder and louder. And Moses would speak and God would answer him with a violent wind. And then the Lord came down on Mount Sinai. To the top of the mountain. Now, notice what happened in that story. The first thing is that God showed up, the very presence of God showed up. And how do we know that God showed up? Because the commonalities of God's presence in the Old Testament make themselves known in this story. There was fire, there were clouds, there was this roar of a violent wind. And it was terrifying. People were afraid. Every time in the Bible that the presence of God shows up in an intensely personal way, everybody's initial reaction is to be scared, to be terrified. Moses was the only one with the guts to actually step out on the mountainside. Everybody else was scared to death. That's how intense God's presence was. It was terrifying. So you go on in the story of Exodus. And everywhere in the story of Exodus where there's a pillar of fire or a cloud or the sound of a violent rushing wind, there also is the very tangible presence of God. And it got to the point where God wasn't just okay with showing up randomly. With God saying to his people, hey, if you come to this mountainside on this sort of a day, I'll just kind of randomly show up. God wanted something more than that. He wanted to be more connected than that with his people. So he said to them, build a dwelling place for me. Build a place where my very presence can rest and reside. And they called that place a tabernacle. And the remainder of the book of Exodus is just really detailed descriptions on how people should build this dwelling place for the very tangible presence of God to show up. So you read instructions about how make, God says, make me a sanctuary so I can be present with you. You should follow these blueprints and I'll show you the dwelling places for all these equipment. Now, now this was a big deal. Because in like ancient culture, like there was the God of the ocean, or the God of the forest, or the God of the rain, or the God of the valley. Gods had their locations, but this God, the one true God, was God over the whole earth. He's mobile, and he wanted to be physically present with his people wherever they go. So when we read the last paragraph of the book of Exodus in Exodus chapter 40, we're not surprised that we find these words. There was a cloud that covered the meeting tent, the tabernacle, and the Lord's glorious presence filled that dwelling. And Moses couldn't even enter the meeting tent because the cloud had settled on it, and the Lord's glorious presence filled it. Where is the presence of God in the Old Testament? Wherever there is fire, wherever there's a cloud, wherever there is the sound of a rushing wind. And God so wanted to be be united with his people that he instructed his people to build him a tabernacle so that wherever they went and roamed to, roamed to as a population, there he would also be. We're going to fast forward a lot, a lot of time. And we're going to, make, we're going to find ourselves in Acts chapter 2. And if you have your Bibles with you this morning... I'd love for you to turn them to Acts chapter chapter 2. And we're going to read the first four verses. And the story of the Bible is the story of God wanting to unite himself with his people. That he wants to be physically present with us. He doesn't want this distance in the relationship. And he knows that the only way for a relationship to be close is to be in close proximity. Acts chapter 2. Beginning with verse one, It reads like this: "When Pentecost Day arrived, everyone was gathered in the same place. And notice what happens. Suddenly, a sound from heaven, from heaven, like the howling of a fierce wind, filled that entire place they were sitting they saw what seemed to be individual flames of fire lighting on each one of them. And they were all filled with the presence of the Lord. And they began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them to speak. So here we have all of God's people The faithful disciples, and they're gathered in a room, cowering in fear. And all of a sudden, there's this rushing wind. They begin to hear this violent roar, which should trigger our memory. And all of a sudden, they begin to see fire, a flame, resting over the top of each one of them. Now, I don't know what you would do if you were in that place. But if I was in that place, and I was unaware of the ancient stories of faith, I was unaware of the stories of Scripture that were handed down generation after generation, I knew nothing about how when the presence of God showed up, there was a roar and fire fell down. If I didn't know anything about that, and I was in that room... And all of a sudden, I hear a violent rushing wind. And over your head, I see a flame begin to rest. I'm doing one of two things. If I'm brave, I'm tackling you. And I'm saying, we got to get you out of here. Or if I'm not brave and I'm a coward, I run out the door myself. But they don't. Why is there no recollection in this story of the disciples freaking out in this and running around scurrying because they know the story and they know that when god's presence shows up in a very real way there is the roar of a violent wind and fire falls down but i think what exploded their frame of reference I think what surpassed every expectation that they would ever have is now the very presence of God himself. It's not coming to dwell in a tent. It's not coming to dwell in a tabernacle. It's coming to dwell in them. In them. In people. The story of the Bible is a story of a father who is dead desperate to be reunited with his people and he tried showing up randomly on mountainsides god tried showing up in a tabernacle a tent that they carried with them wherever they went he tried showing up in a temple but temples can be knocked down and burned to the ground and finally he realized The only way to be reunited with his lost sons and daughters is to show up in them, in their lives. Now, I think we hear that story and we want to believe it, but I think our capacity for believing that story is number one. We've never been in a place where there was a roar of a rushing wind. We've never been in a place where fire fell down on top of someone's heads. We haven't had these moments of like theophany, like divine revelation. We've been slugging it out, grinding it out. Daily, trying to make our way closer to the Father. And this story in Acts chapter 2 isn't a story about how in order to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you and I must also be a part of some sort of supernaturally miraculous work. This story in Acts chapter 2 is trying to persuade us, all of us, that direct, Access to the presence of God is no longer about making a way to a temple where the Spirit is present or where the Holy is found. It's no longer about making our way to a tabernacle where the Spirit is present and the Holy is found. Direct access to the very presence of God has been breathed out and poured out and spilled out over all of us. You as Paul would say, in Paul's language, you are God's temple. Your very body is the place where God's presence resides. You all of you, me, we are the place where God has chosen to dwell. So present your bodies as living sacrifices, not just your minds, not just your hearts. Present your whole selves because God has made a claim over you. You are the place where God's Spirit resides. I've often wondered, I have often wondered, what would happen to us? What would happen to you and what would happen to me? If instead of viewing our Christian life as a series of attempts to try to clean ourselves up in order to get closer to God so that we can experience all that God has for us. I often wondered what would happen if we started back at the beginning and we remembered that deep in the heartbeat of God is God's desire to be united, to be unified with us, and that God will stop at nothing that there is no obstacle in God's way that will keep him from uniting himself with us, I often wondered what change it would make for us if we realized that the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon all peoples and that the presence of God is as near to us as our next breath. So instead of us saying to ourselves, I've got to do this and this and this, and this, and maybe somewhere down the line if I get it all in order and all of the dominoes fall correctly, then I'll be able to experience God's presence. What if we flipped it on its head and we said God's presence and God's spirit has been given to us? In fact, God wants to fill us right where we are with his very presence with his very power. And that power enables us to live the life that Jesus has for us. So instead of us relying on our own skill or ability or willpower or effort or strength or knowledge or whatever else we think we have to close the divide between ourselves and God, we realize that the very person, the very presence, the very power of God is given to us. It fills us and changes us and transforms us and enables us to live a life that faithfully witnesses to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If I could persuade you of anything today, it would be this. God's fire God's breath, God's wind, God's spirit has been poured out over all people. Now someday, God's presence, we believe, if we believe in the book of Revelation, someday God's presence will fill the air and cover the earth and the entire cosmos will be reunited with its Creator. Someday God's spirit will get everything that it ever has wanted, which is everything in the world. Someday. But right now, today, you and I, the people of God's spirit, we live today pointing to God someday when God will make it all right. Do you know where God's presence is? It's not just in here, although I hope it's here. It's not just In your home, when you're reading your devotional, it's in you, filling you, cleansing you, transforming you, empowering you. The presence of God has chosen to be united with you. But we have a role to play. We have a role to play. You know, the really difficult thing about God is God enables us to make a choice. You know, but that's what love does, right? Love doesn't force itself on someone. Love says, I love you. I'll give my entire life to you. Will you love me too? That's love. Love doesn't say, I'm going to force you to do this. Love says, I love you. Will you also say yes? So God enables us, empowers us, allows us through his spirit to say yes. And I think there's a lot of us in this room who have said yes to following Jesus on our own terms. And have struggled to say yes to fully committing our lives to allowing the power of the Spirit, God's very presence, to dwell in us, to fill us. I believe that there's moments of growth through the the grace of God where we come to realize we're at a decision point. We're at a place here where a decision needs to be made. There were times in our life where we said yes to the movement of God, but we haven't said yes in a while. We've just kind of been in the same spot. And discipleship into Jesus is a series, it's a string of yeses. In our tradition, we believe that there's two major moments The major moment, the first major moment is where we recognize that we're headed in a direction opposite of God. And we sense the power of God's spirit and we repent and we confess and we turn our lives around. And in that moment we recognize that our relationship with God the Father has been mended and healed through the Son Jesus Christ. And Jesus has saved us. But we also believe that there's more moments to come and one more major moment that the Spirit wants to do with us that launches us into a lifetime of service. And that second major moment is where we realize that the Spirit has been growing us, grooming us, developing us, forming us to the point where we want nothing more and we want nothing less than to just be God's person, to have God's presence us in a uniquely special way. So that moment is a moment where we not only recognize that we're saved from sin, but in this moment we realize we're sanctified to God. And so we say to God, I get it. I said no to all of that stuff and I said yes to you, but now here in this moment, I'm going to give my entire life to you. Everything I have is yours. Fill me with with the power of your presence. I think, I think, I could be wrong. I'm probably not. But I think, all in these moments, at this point in our country's journey, in our corporate journey as a church, what we need more than anything is for people to fully say yes to God, wholeheartedly surrender. I am yours, God, and I will be used for your agenda. You have saved me from sin. I want you to sanctify me, to sanctify me, to be set apart. I I want you to set me apart for your work in this world today. And I think what God would love more than anything else, is to see a congregation, to see a church united around being filled with God's empowering presence. I shared with you last week that I've just been dwelling upon this passage in 1 Thessalonians. I cannot shake it. I cannot shake it. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes to this church, and it's just this tiny little church in Thessalonica. And Paul writes to this church and says, that the Holy Spirit came upon you, church, in Thessalonica. It came upon you in power. And it enabled you to be a model for churches in Macedonia and Asia Minor. And so in other words, what Paul is saying is that God's presence came upon these people in such a way that it empowered them to be the kind of church that Jesus had always dreamed of. They were a model church for churches in Asia Minor. And, and I, think of, I think of, honestly, I think of my family. I think of our church. I think of my own life. What I want for my family, what I want for our church, more than anything else, it's for God's empowering presence to come upon us in such a way that we become a model. You know, we don't need to be hip or cool or trendy or whatever, but we become a model of the kind of church that Jesus is after, that he wants. And it starts with you and with I. Recognizing that God desires nothing more and nothing less than to dwell with us through the power of his presence. And for us to fully say, yes, yes, that's what I want to.